1: Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie, my pronouns are she, her, hers, and today I'm joined by Colonel Kim Olson, Democratic nominee for Texas Commissioner of Agriculture. Thanks for coming on. Oh, my
2: pleasure, Jordan. Thanks for having me.
1: Of course. So let's jump right into things. Kim, you're the first candidate for agriculture commissioner we've had on the podcast. To be honest, until the Texas primary, I don't believe I'd ever heard of an agriculture commissioner (laughs) before. I have a feeling I'm not alone in that. Could you explain to us what exactly an agriculture commissioner is and why the position matters?
2: Well, it's a really good question. Here in the state of Texas, agriculture is a third of our GDP. She generates about 600,000 jobs and $106 billion in revenue for our state. One in every seven people within our state is involved in agriculture. But what's really important is that everybody eats, Jordan, and everybody wears clothes. So, ag matters to everyone in pretty much every state. For Texans here, the Department of Agriculture does five basic things. First of all, it uh, obviously works within the agri exporting products both internal to our state and external to markets around the world. We feed three million children every day with our free and reduced lunch and breakfast. We match grants for Meals on Wheels, so we're feeding the old, we're feeding the young. We have inspectors all across the state making sure that your food is safe for you and your family. But one thing ag does that most people don't realize is that we do rural development. So I come from a small town in Wells. It's kind of unhappy by time and progress. But there's a lot of small towns around Texas that are either time is forgotten or they feel like they've been left out of the economic development. And so your Department of Ag tries to help those towns either by giving them grants, by bringing businesses in, by kind of working to enhance whatever it is they need um, to make, make their towns survive. And you know, the neat thing about it is that Texas was built on the back of rural Texans. You know, if we're smart enough to build this great state, I think if you go visit with them, they're, they're going to tell you what their needs are in order to make their towns go. So I visited 122 counties in the state and we try to do all 254. And the objective is is to visit people the farm and farm on can walk their fields and sit at their family dinner tables and talk to them. About it. Long answer to your short question.
1: No, that was great. So what do you believe makes you qualified to hold this position? What's your background?
2: Oh, that's a good question. So I think in order to make someone qualified, you kind of got to understand what an, what an agency does, which is what the Department of Ag does. It's an agency. Like I said, it has... A thousand employees and about a half a billion dollar budget. So what you want is a leader. So that's the first thing. All agencies need leaders who understand, you know, the breadth of the um, responsibilities of the organization as far as the depth, meaning the breadth of who your customers are, which is everybody in the state of Texas really, because like I said, everybody needs those that are ranchers and farmers and those involved in agriculture want somebody to represent them both inside America and outside. And then the depth, which is the infrastructure of an organization. So let me talk about the breadth first. So the breadth is, you know, do you want a serious leader that concentrates on ag, that, that is a good role model, that goes out and talks to people and listens to them and represents them in all kinds of markets? Do you want a leader who understands um, how diverse the world is and how diverse even our state is? And I would argue, after serving our nation in the military for 25 years, Running a nonprofit that helps veterans. And after being deployed all around the world, I understand how to lead and what skill sets required to do that. So now let's talk about depth, which is what makes an organization successful. Well, the biggest thing is its people and then the policies and procedures and how you use the money that it's inside there. So I have experience in working with Dallas ISD, it was their head HR, which had a really number. Um, I, I, like I said, I ran a nonprofit that had multi-million dollar budgets. And so I understand um, what it takes to put processes in place and procedures and to make sure that those are followed. Obviously, Department of Ag has people associated with it. They're probably your greatest asset, so I know how to work with people. And then I think the last thing that's important is that again, you have to represent those internal to the organization and those customers that are outside. And I'm going to harken back to that uh, going to places and listening to people, because here's a deal, when representative government is about listening to people and then representing them in Austin and at the PC, that, that's what makes for a great democracy. So it's a culmination of all those things that, that make me qualified to lead an organization, understand it, and the bottom line is I'm a, Fourth generation farmer. I have no fingernails because I really work in the dirt every day. I know how hard it is to make a profit in farming, and especially in ranching these days. And so I think you have to have somebody who appreciates how challenging it can be in the agriculture business today.
1: So compared to at least the other races that are going on in Texas this year, this doesn't seem like one of the more politicized roles. Could you tell us about what it's like campaigning for this position? You
2: no, know, that's really an astute question, and and one that all should ask. This really isn't a position that requires a, a political input at all. It just it just so happens that in order to run the agency, you got to get voted in, and therefore you have to declare one side or the other. Because I want to go back to what I originally said. Look, everybody has to eat in this state. Our kids, our seniors, and folks in the middle. Everyone has to eat. Everybody wears clothes. So whether you like it or not, in this position, you have to represent all Texans. And the danger is when you do politicize a department, then people don't get served well. And that's not good. That's not good for our state. It's not good for folks that work in ag. And it's certainly not good for our economy. So what I try to do is, like I said, I go visit both sides of the aisle. I, I just mostly try to visit people who are concerned about what our kids are need, like superintendents and administrators in other schools. I visit universities that have great research about how best to feed our country, our nation, and our state. I talk to the farm bureau and explain that look, food security is a national security issue. The reason we're the powerhouse that we are is because we can feed our own, and our government made great investments in farm market roads, distribution centers, trucking, rail, deep water ports, so we could export. So it's important to understand just how far this reaches that's agriculture. Is it sexy? I don't know. But trust me, you're not going to like it if you don't have food to eat. So I I really think you have to kind of, if you will, stay in the the middle, if I may use that term, and and listen to folks on on both sides of the aisle. And again, I keep repeating myself, but you absolutely have to represent all Texans. You, You just do.
1: So, you're running against a Republican incumbent who defeated their Democratic challenger in 2014 by 21.74 points. What do you think makes you better for this position? And how do you think you're going to overcome the odds?
2: <laughs> That's a good question, and people ask that a lot. Let me reverse it on you. 2018 isn't 2014. We have a different administration in the White House, we have a different administration in Texas. I think the mood of the nation is different, certainly the mood of Texas. But there are three, if you will, converging forces that make this particular election cycle different than anything we've seen in the last decade. And the first is, and I'll just be quite blunt, is that women are mad as hell and we're just not going to take it anymore. And what I mean by that is not only are women running for office in record numbers across the country, is women are getting into the political discourse, which is a good thing talk about that. It is good that everybody gets into the game because you want everybody's input and voices because we, we got we got challenges within our country. So we need all the best and brightest minds, no matter what your gender, what your race, or what your orientation is. You need the best and the brightest. And I say that from being in the military and understanding that the military is the best when she is a microcosm of our society. So that's number one. If you have women Who've really come off the bench and have gotten into the game. The second thing is, is that in Texas, we have folks running up and down the ballot, which is way different than 2014. You know, we kind of had a rock star in 14. She came out, rallied the troops, and then she went home and everybody left. Today, every single position that can be is contested by a, a Democrat. So all politics is local, Jordan. So that means that when I roll into whatever county, there are local candidates that run for office, and why that's important is because you're going to work for your local candidate. That's who you get fired up for. That's who you walk blocks for on voters. That's what excites the electoral base. So, that is the second thing that's different. And then the third thing is your generation. For the first time, I would argue, and I'm a bit, I was a little young for that era, but for the first time since I would argue Vietnam, you see young people. I mean, look at Parkland. Look at, The walk Your generation is coming off the sidelines again and getting into politics. And if we can get those that are under 25 motivated around our state and around our country, we're going to be a better country for it. Last night I was at Young Dems at TCU. Mm. There's TCUs at uh, Young Dems at at Baylor and A&M and UT and Angelo State. So that means that young people are beginning to figure out that they too can have a voice in the political arena, and that your voices matter. So I really applaud you for doing these uh, podcasts and interviewing candidates because it's important that your generation hear and that your generation be involved.
1: Absolutely. How do you think your message and campaign are really reaching out to and inspiring millennials?
2: That's a, that's another really good question. So I, so I see my campaign in sort of a, a lens of two of two lenses. The first lens is exactly what you asked me. It's how you gonna get the number. For me it's three million. That's the number. Will three million voters come out and check the box next to Kim Olson's name? And a lot of that you can do something about. You can you can you know push mailers, you can walk walk and talk, you can visit all the counties, you can do just so much. But at the end of the day, do three million people feel motivated enough to go vote because we're not a red state, and we're not a blue state. Texas is a non-voting state. Is mm-hmm. is the electorate fired up enough to get up and vote that day? And you have some control but not a lot around that. But the other campaign that I'm running is exactly what you're talking about. It's last night sitting in front of college kids and telling them how important they are to our democracy. And if I can fire someone up in that audience to to walk blocks or register voters or somehow get in the political arena then I win every day that I'm on the trail. And I do that. I I think I can fire up a crowd. I'm I'm pretty good on my feet. And I think I motivate people not just to run, which I've done. several people have run because I fired them up, but to work. And to because democracies take work. They they just do. They're forever changing. And my advice to folks, especially campaign people that are running for campaign, around the millennial generation, you guys taught us great lessons around this. You know, you better run for something, not against someone. And the reason is because you're the generation that said, what? You want to marry who you love? Great. You want to use our restroom because you'll feel safer there because you're a trans? Fine. Take it. You want to um, be able to be safe and driving no matter what the color of your skin is? We'll march for you. You are the ones I would argue that the millennial generation truly is a social conscience of this country. And it normally is like It is the youth that remind us what's really important,
1: especially in America's democracy. So I I agree with you that turnout is so key. We saw turnout on the Democratic side increase a lot in the primaries. But in terms of turnout, for years now, Democrats have been talking about turning out more voters of color in Texas and how that's really going to change the whole state for Democrats, but they have failed to actually do so consistently. What are you doing to ensure that Texans of color are represented and genuinely included, not just visited on occasion every time there's an election?
2: Yeah, and that, that's a fair question, and that's a complaint. So, you know, like I said before, you have to walk the talk. So one of the first places I went down to visit, and I, I really kind of stay away from the city centers, you know, I put my toe in there, but most of the places I've gone to visit have been rural Texas. And by rural, I mean Orange County, I mean Acres Homes in Houston, I mean the churches and places because unless you go and sit in a bench, unless you go and sit at a table, unless you go and go where they are early, well before you need anybody's vote, you, you're right, you appear to be disingenuous. So that's number one, is I go to them and I've done it many a times. I've already been to the valley, I've already been to South um, Houston, I've been over on the other sides of Dallas. So, so I try to really go there and and walk, and walk walk there, walk, not that I can ever know what it's like to be that, but I know what it's like to be a minority, especially when you're in the first generation of female pilots in the military. I mean, I understood what (laughs) prejudice could be like and, and to be discriminated against, not just by people's socials, but by a policy set in place that won't allow you to be successful. And I would argue our generation help take those doors off the hinges to allow women to aspire to whatever their talents are to vote all women of color because that's kind of the lane I in. So that's number one. Number two is you know I see myself because I'm kind of at the top of the ticket so far as someone who hopefully can mentor and will campaign with uh, women of color and help where I can women who are stepping into the breach for the first time like the congresswomen out of San Antonio. Or folks in El Paso, where, where I've been before, and talk to people. What can I do to help? And what is it you need from me? Because again, your job on uh, a statewide slate is to fire up the base so that they will work for those folks that are coming out for the first time and running for office. And like I said, we have a record number of women in Texas for the first time in our history. 60, right now, there's 65 women, including in the runoff, in our state of Texas running for. House seats, Senate seats, Congress, and government. I mean it's incredible to watch and I'm so proud of them. I'm just so proud of women.
1: So what can you do as agriculture commissioner to fight prejudice and discrimination?
2: Even I, I lived that journey for twenty-five years. I'll just I can only reflect back on what what the closed personnel system of the military did. And and I would put our military up against any corporation or organization that, that we do integration quite well. I mean, yeah, we got our hiccups, but we actually do it quite well. And so number one is you, you have to have role models showing that it can be done. And those of us that were in the first classes of whatever, it really doesn't matter what it is, you know, kind of were always the trailblazers. And that, and that was hard because you never had anybody up in rank to, to kind of help you. So you sort of learned it on the fly. And, and that's not the best way to do it. So that, that's the first thing is get, get yourself some role models up there. And that's why it's so important that women of color and men of color and women of all races and orientations and men of all races and orientations run for office so you can have role models in the breach. So that's that's number one. Number two is you have to fire up the electorate to see that, that you know, folks from. South Houston can run and folks from El Paso can run and win and win and that it's important that you have folks to rally around because it's not enough that you run. Like I said, you have to have folks to support you. And to your point about, the Dems are always going to get this sleeping giant to come out and and vote and it it just never happens because there's, because there aren't any, there's nobody that looks like me running and that, and that's why it's so important to get lots of folks on the ticket, not just talking folks, but lots of folks on the ticket not just because you want them on the ticket because they bring a different dynamic to the game and a different experience which is which is what you need when you are trying to solve the complicated problems of our nation. and the last thing is is that i I think it's important to highlight where we're successful we're going to have a lot of failures probably this year you know of the 65 who knows who won't make it through november the 6th but when you have successes We need to celebrate that, and then we need to support them. It's not enough to get elected. You've got to be successful once you are in that office, or or it would have all been for not. And so, having role models, having a a base that'll support you, celebrating when you you do win, and then, you know, I I just, it's about shared leadership. It's not a scarcity mentality where if I get elected, then and all the, you know, guys that, that, that I beat are, are gonna be at loss. It's not. You're gonna share in the leadership of at least this department of ag and try to represent all Texans as best that you can. That, that's, that's how, again, that's how a representative government is supposed
0: to work. Slash Politics. Every dollar will go directly towards our mission of shining a spotlight on progressive candidates. Causes and organizations. And if you subscribe at the ambassador level or more, we'll send you a free copy of How Our Government Really Works, despite what they say. It's an award winning book about the intricacies of American government, and you'll get to join our exclusive ambassador Slack channel and get to hang out with us all day, every day. I pretty much live there, so if that appeals to you, come join us.
2: And we want to give a very special shout out to our executive producer, Greg Stevens, and our producers, Brad
0: Tracy and Rick. Garcia Brown. Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash melenpolitics. That's patreon.com slash M-I-L-L-E-N politics and join
1: the movement. Alright, now back to the show. So as you've said, everyone needs to eat, but as you know, that's easier said than done. How do you hope to actually ensure that everyone has access to affordable, healthy meals.
2: Yeah, that's, that's like my number two issue. And, you know, like I said earlier, Jordan, um, ag feeds 3 million children every day, and that's a problem. I mean, what happens on the weekends? What happens in the summertime? I mean, where do these kids get food? One in every four go to bed hungry. I That's insane. In 2018, we have children that are hungry. So, to your point, we have to get moms and dads access to good fruits and vegetables and good food. Right now, if you go to South Oak Cliff and go to other places, you'll find all they got are convenience stores and fast foods. And I don't care what anybody says. You talk to any cheap teacher or administrator. A sugar donut is not the breakfast of champions. It's just not. And so, a and M did a great study, following forty thousand kids for five years, feeding fruits and vegetables. And what the study found, which is what most people would say, yeah, is that you feed kids good food, they are healthier, they learn better, they have greater test scores, are less absent, are less behavior problems, and they're happier. And what those kids then would do is go home and teach mom and dad how to cook, who we'll are probably working two or three jobs just to just to make ends meet. And so. It is a force multiplier when we feed our children well. But let's just say, ah, eh, you don't have a social conscience. You don't care about the those those kids of Texas. Let me let me offer to you this way. Right now in our state, what what administrators are telling me when I visit them, they're worried about obesity in elementary school. In elementary school, that means a kid who's obese in elementary school will probably have type two diabetes by the time they're eighteen. And diabetes is a long and brutal disease. And besides that, they'll have fun things like, oh, I don't know, heart disease, probably have their first heart attack before they're 30. They will have cholesterol. They will have joint problems. And, you know, you can imagine kids are really kind to other children who are overweight. So now you have social issues. And so that kid who is sick at 18 already is probably one of the most expensive things we'll have. And it is economically unsustainable to have a third. A third of the next generation of children sick with diabetes. it just is, and so again, like I said, if you don't care about it because you don't have a social conscience, you better care about it from an economic point of view because that's the next generation of workers who are going to care for folks like me when I get old and crusty. So it really is in our own self-interest to make sure children have access to fruits and vegetables, not just because they need to be educated or just because they're the next workers, but because you just can't have. Generations who will not have the lifespan we will have. For the first time in human history, this is what the trajectory we have. This research is showing the next generation of kids will not live as long as those before them. And for one reason and one reason only, it's what they eat. And we have got to fix that. And your Department of Ag, in, in concert with the USDA, can do that. But you have to have leadership that focuses on that. And I'm not very, and I'm not, yeah, I'm not very passionate about
1: it. <laughs> yeah. So you said that this is probably your number two priority. Could you talk about your number one? Yeah. So my number one
2: would be, like I alluded to earlier, is reestablishing the professionalism that is the Department of Ag. You know, we've done some, now we, they have done some not very professional things. You know, all you have to do is, is uh, Google my opponent and see where the focus is. And, and I think it's uh, disrespectful to those of us that work the land. I think it's um, irresponsible to not get your budgets in on time and then you have to overcharge ranchers and farmers their fees. I think it is not very uh, representative of the great state of Texas and her people in it who work hard every day trying to make it go to um, not represent Texas in her best light and use words that are not very kind to, to people and make fun of races, make fun of genders, make fun of orientations, make fun of people who are depressed and considering suicide. I mean, these are the kind of things that that the current commissioner focuses on. And, um, you know, he has a saying that he's Trump's man in Texas. And I would offer to Texans listening out there, we're our own men and women. We don't need to be anybody's man in Texas. We, We got this. We're Texans. And we know what to do in our own state, and so uh, I would just try to reestablish that professionalism, not just for who you represent, for those men and women that are working in that department every day to make
1: it good. So lastly, how can folks get involved in your campaign, and where can they find
2: you online? As always, most candidates, we're on every platform we can find, but the first one is if you want to learn about our positions, because I put every position that we come across or the things that people ask me about or the things they're concerned about on our website, Vote. KimOlson.org It's Vote Kim Olson dot an org, and you'll see all of our position papers on there. Uh, that's number one. Number two, of course, we're on Facebook and it's Kim Olson the number four Texas Ag. Kim Olson the number four te- Texas Ag. So that's my uh, Facebook. And then, of course, I'm on Twitter and uh, on Instagram. Every Wednesday and Saturday we push out issue papers, especially Things that are going on uh, in the news platform, immigration is a big deal this week. And then, of course, you can always, when you go up online uh, on the website, you can volunteer. There's everything from phone banking to holding house gardening to putting data in to just, you know, block walking or handing out seed packs. We have a, a web store, which I, my calling card is a seed packet, which has uh, wildflower seeds. Since I'm a beekeeper, I want everybody to plant on my seeds and feed my bees, <laughs> and um, so I tr- again I try to walk the talk here. So there's lots of ways to get in, but if you know if you don't want to get in a, at my level, support your local candidate. You know, if you've only got twenty dollars to donate to somebody, give, give it to your local candidate and help them to to get in whatever position they're running for. Because you will find it really is fun and exciting, and it's and it's important at the local level that uh, folks get involved
1: yeah for sure so thank you again for coming on as i mentioned before you're the first candidate for this position that we've spoken to only 12 states actually elect their agriculture commissioners and i think every statewide position every seat every seat is important so it's really great to talk to you about this and raise awareness about this
2: position well thank you for taking the time and as i said to everybody that's in the media or that's in um, Bringing issues forward to audiences, you know, it's it's folks like you that make America phenomenal. That will find your voice, yeah, especially and and put it out there, and interview and seek information. You know, I, I tell reporters that, I tell cameramen that, and I tell folks like you because you're on a media platform. That indeed it is actually you that is what makes America.
1: Thank you. And to our listeners, if you want to hear more interviews with statewide candidates and candidates for Congress, make sure to follow Millennial Politics on social media, subscribe to our newsletter, and stay tuned for the next episode of our podcast. Thanks for listening.